the weekly ACG New York podcast. I'm Vikesh Magdani, Executive Director of ACG New York. ACG, of course, is the largest and most influential committee-steered member-based network for the global middle market private capital community. The network focuses on promoting best practice, knowledge, intelligence, thought leadership for capital providers, industry executives, and those that service them whilst providing a concierge platform for deal-making and fundraising. And the ACG New York Weekly Podcast invites members, partners, and special guests to discuss key themes and topic points in the world of global middle market private equity. And today I'm very pleased to have with us Marcia Nelson, who is Managing Director of Albaline Family Office Solutions and also sits on the board of ACG New York. Hello to you this morning, Marcia. How are you? <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to have you. I must, I must say, for, for those that are watching and for the viewers listening in, I don't just say this. Marcia is one of the <laughs> nicest people you'll ever meet. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. No, Thank I, you very much. And in, the, in this time when uh, there's so much, oh, gosh, um negativity i guess you would yeah. say or just unpleasantness around it's nice to be a little buoyant and jovial and chirpy and no better way than to have you on on the weekly podcast marcia oh, so, oh, oh good i'm glad to be i'm glad to be the cheer and the pollyanna in the middle uh, of the crisis so <laughs> we are we are look we're we're into week three of self-isolation we're all in our yep. our home offices i'm in my son's bedroom i'm trying to move around room by room <laughs> How has your setup been and how, how are you faring in this time, three weeks in? Well, 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 luckily for me, my husband has been working for home, working at home for 25 years. So uh, he's actually been my sanity. <laughs> so he's uh, oh. advised me on how to stay sane during all of this. So, um, you know, the good thing is we, we are empty nesters. So our children are in different cities, self-isolating. So it's just my husband and I and our tiny New York City apartment, but headphones and technology are our friends. That's what we've decided. Right. I know it's a, it's a new norm, isn't it? Certainly in the interlude. It is. Or the interlude. Now you're in New York City, of course, on the, on yes. the Apple side, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we're getting a lot of news about people walking around when they shouldn't, going to see battleships when they shouldn't, in hordes. What, what is it so like? Bad. You know, a lot of I'm getting certainly lots of calls from people in other states, quite worried. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I, I, I know we'll go into to, to, to the vagaries of what's going on right now. But what, what is it like on the streets of New York? Do you get out much? Are no, no, we, um, we, uh, we never leave our apartment, in, including going down to get the mail. We go every other day to get the mail oh. from the lobby and. And we left our apartment one day last week to get a prescription filled. But other than that, we, um, we, we stocked up. We were lucky. I got a fresh direct order last week. So I'm very happy about that. Um, but, but I will say when we went out last week for, for a half hour just to go to the pharmacy, I was surprised how many people were out. Mm -hmm. um, I did have to do another follow-up prescription on Friday last week and and there were a lot fewer people out. So it's usually, I see people walking a dog, a um, couple of people jogging, and a few people grabbing groceries. But for the most part, there is nobody around out on the streets. And I do hope um, it's been a, yeah. 
sorry for the, for those that are out. I hope you saw that they're keeping their distance, at least the allotted distance. Yeah, even when you pass somebody on the sidewalk, everybody kind of moves sideways, and and uh, you know people like halfway make eye contact, and they're like, "Which way are you going to move?" And they move. <laughs> long before you get there so it's not like you know where you stop in front of somebody and, oh 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 which way am i going to go uh people are keeping their distance i you know other than i guess i did saw all the people saw a lot of photos of people out yesterday going to look at the ship yeah. um, but for the most part i think people are are obeying the rules yeah at least in manhattan well that's good to know and, and certainly you're there on on the hot spot so we wish you well and thank you stay health healthy and well um, I thought, Marcia, for the viewers and the listeners, we could find out a little bit more about you. I've known you for, for quite a while now, yeah. but never really probed into your history and how you got to Abilene and and then the family office world, which is really sure. what this podcast is about. So a bit more about yourself, please. Yeah, so 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 briefly, I'm I'm originally from Utah. I moved to New York 30 plus years ago, so totally dating myself. Uh, spent the first 10 years of my career living the Devil Wears Prada life. I was at Condé Nast, working for a couple of the fashion magazines. And then Calm came along and the world magazine started to fold. And I got recruited to work for the first, for a very wealthy philanthropic family. Um, mm -hmm. I worked for a billionaire family. I say when um, when a billion dollars was a lot of money. That was, <laughs> was a big deal. Yeah. Um, which is crazy now to think about that. And that was my first, I, you know, first foray working for a wealthy family. They were very active in education and, and supporting education. And then they were also very active in the arts community. And I really learned a lot from working for them. Um, yeah. And then ultimately I went back to graduate school to get an MBA. I really wanted to do more with my career. Yeah. So I, I, I live around the corner from Fordham, so it was an easy commute. Mm -hmm. And I went to, when I started back to school, I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and I was working full-time at the Carlisle Group and going to school at night. And wow. I did that nice part-time program at Fordham, and then um, and then got got a job working for a valuation firm, but more on the business development side. Oh, I'm sorry. In between there, I actually worked for another family office. So. So I worked for a family office, then I worked for a valuation firm, and then I spent about 15 years doing business development for valuation and accounting firms. Mm -hmm. And I am in my third working, third time working for a family office. So I'm back in the back in the midst um, with a little more experience behind me and a little more focus on the financial side rather than the private. Uh, excuse me, more focus on the financial side than the um, philanthropy side at this point. Right. Right, right. And, and you must tell us a little bit about the office that you're in now and your remit within, please. Yeah, so, so the Alberlin Group is a holding company, and then I work for Alberlin Family Office Solutions, which is partly owned by a wealthy Asian family. And yeah. we were set up to be boots on the ground for the Asian family that was looking to make investments in the U.S. My role is finding other families that are interested in co-investing with us on deals and, and I've sort of broadened that a little bit and actually looking for deals that, that we get from other families. Uh, we also have a broker dealer, so we can do more traditional sort of boutique investment banking, but our primary focus is on the principal investing side. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and you've been there how long? Four years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, obviously, ACG 
an ACG New York within is is very much middle market private equity geared. Sure. And we've certainly seen the rise of family offices in the last decade. So I was reading some stats in, in preparation for this. Private equity fundraising in the U.S. was in over time during the past decade with, with annual figures climbing from less than $60 billion in 2010 to a record $301 billion in 2019. And with that, we saw the surge in fundraising um, in 2017 and 2019, so last year, that there's a lot of dry powder out there. And, and yeah. family offices within worldwide, I would say, love private equity. And those in, in North America make the most investments in the asset class. Yep. Another little yep. stat for you that you probably know. So almost 81% of family offices in North America invest in private equity as limited partners, fund of fund investors, independent investment sponsors. And that's according to um, uh, Fintrex, which is the family office. Oh, sure. And so today I thought, Marcia, we, we, could, we could discuss how patient and resilient family office capital really is, especially in these times. Sure. Um, particularly as it pertains to private equity deals in which family office investments in, in direct and co-investments have, have seen have seen a surge, certainly in that decade that I spoke about. So before we go into the, the future and your crystal ball with it, um, like I said, we've seen a surge in the last decade. Why why do you why do you think that is? I mean you've you've been there, done that, worn the t shirt. Why have why have more and more family offices gotten into the private equity class? Well I think that but I think there's two reasons. One, I think post two thousand eight there was a flight from away from funds, and I think there was an anti-Wall Street perception. Um, and I think people said, whoa, whoa, I can, you know, why am I paying all these fees? I can do it better myself. And then I think some families realized that they couldn't do it better themselves, and they really depended on the professionals. And then I also think some of the larger families said, well, I can't do it myself, but I have to hire the professionals. So I think that was a little bit of a shift, and I think that's part of it. And then I also think that that private equity has just shown that the numbers and the returns have shown that they can be really agile and they can produce better the re better returns than just straight straight up stock investing. Yeah. And I think families have said, "Wow, this is this is a way for me to increase my you know increase my increase my wealth." Yeah. And then I also, and, and I guess actually there's a third reason. I think a lot of a lot of wealth came from financial institutions. Right. So I think families are comfortable. Some family offices came out of private equity or hedge funds, and they're very comfortable with the financial markets, and they understand the the rules of the game, and so they're very willing to put capital back into those investments because they made money themselves. Yeah. Well, obviously with. With family office capital and all the other powder that is out there, valuations went through the roof. Yes. Family offices made the entire um, scene quite competitive, really. But, um, you know, so that was the last decade, if I could say, and it's been a buoyant one. But 90 days ago, we stepped into <laughs> a new decade, arguing yes. whether it was actually a new decade. And, and today, Marcia, we're in... Gosh, we're in a much different world. So I thought today, look, on, on the last day of Q1, let's take a collective breath and, and rewind. So let's go back to I know, <laughs> exactly. and breathe. So, um, and we've seen quite a bit of, of one another in the last 
three months or so. But if you recall back to January, imagine Christmas is over. It's the new year. We're in January. What does President Trump do? He orders the strike, killing Iran's top commander, if you remember, Qasim Soleimani. Oil prices and geopolitical tensions soared and fizzled out, if we remember. What else happened? Um, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, if you remember, he said said they're doubling down on on confronting climate change. So that was quite a watershed moment for the environment's role in business decisions. And And we had a little bit of trade. We had a little bit, the the trade war. We were, we were, you know, there were farmers hurting. And so there was some, some um, political changes to support the farmers who were losing money on their soybean crops. So we had some of that too, propping up, propping up that, that sector of the market a little bit. And then it was phase one of, of the trade deal with China. So that yeah. calmed down two years of tension. The UK, we finally Brexited. And, <laughs> and that was, if you remember, that was the first month that we, that certainly I started really hearing about this virus when China locked down, what was it, 50, 50 odd million people yeah. as, as the virus spread. Do, do you remember when you first heard about it and what your initial take was and your thoughts? Well, certainly. So, so we're backed by a Chinese family. So, so we're very conscious of what's happening in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our first thought was, oh, this will be, you know, like SARS. It will be like some of the other um, epidemics that we've seen, and it will be locked down really quickly. And so, so we won't be traveling. You know, our our CEO won't be going to China in the in the near term. And yeah. that was kind of that's kind of what we thought it was going to be. We thought, okay, this is this is going to be locked down. It'll be cleaned up. We'll be back to business as usual in six to eight weeks. That was our original um, thinking around this. And I, I remember we had January thirtieth, a, a very private family office breakfast. Sure. That briefing on how family offices will invest with a potential recession looming. Gosh. <laughs> So then, then February kicks in, Marcia, and the Iowa caucuses, they were a disaster, weren't they? A technological disaster. Yeah, yeah. And then the Fed says early on that um, the virus could pose a risk to the U.S. economy, but didn't really do much with it. Oh, gosh, a lot happened. Harvey Weinstein was convicted, Bob Iger. Yeah, so we were all focused on Me Too. Yeah, yep. but by late February... China was somewhat slowly getting back to work after weeks of quarantine and the U.S. started preparing for the outbreak. Um, well, first we had Italy in there. So, oh. so, so, and I, and I know that because my husband and I had a trip to Italy planned and we had just finalized our hotels. We just bought our La Scala tickets um, we just bought our tickets to the Vatican. We were planning to go on April 22nd. So I was looking at, so I was looking at how do I get from inner growth in Las Vegas? My biggest concern was inner growth to, to Milan. That was, how do I, how do I figure out how to do that? That, that, that was the, the prescient thing on my mind. Yeah. Intergrowth, of course, for those that don't know is, is ACG Global's big behemoth event, week long event, which this yeah. year we were all very excited. It was going to be in in Vegas at the Aria Hotel and Casino, but sadly they had to cancel it. So then we go into March, and Joe yeah. Biden, if you remember, takes the lead in in the Democratic primaries. Um, and what a surprise! Like, yeah. yeah, 
And people like Elizabeth Warren ended their campaigns. You had Saudi Arabia starting an oil price war. Oh, gosh, the, the, the U.S. I think it was this month that we've really started feeling the, the coronavirus and companies sure. start working from home. Sports cancelled, universities closed. But, oh, gosh. But, but even then, Vic, it, like, it, it felt like it just happened overnight. So, so my husband, as I said, my husband and I had a trip to, to Italy planned, and we said, okay, well, we can't go to Italy, but maybe we'll go to D.C., so we'll, we'll do sort of a U.S. staycation. We weren't even thinking that U.S. was going to be shut down. We were just thinking, oh, that's a bummer. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't do our trip. Um, and we were, you know, I was going to conferences, I was speaking at conferences. So I was speaking at a conference on a Wednesday and on Thursday, my boss called us all in and said, uh, you know, if you want to work from home, you should work from home. And, and, uh, and then my husband and I went out and bought lots of theater tickets cause we said, woohoo, nobody's <laughs> coming. <laughs> nobody's coming. It's a great time. Everything we want, everybody's canceling. So we went out and got theater tickets for the month of March and then three hours later Broadway canceled and and the next day my firm shut everybody down and said work from home I mean it was literally like within 24 hours um, yeah. so I am a little worried about my plants that are dying oh. on the windowsill <laughs> at my office and I think I left some boiled eggs in the refrigerator <laughs> so yeah. a little concerned about that because uh, who knows what that's going to be like when I get back to my office but but I mean, that, that should be the least of my worries, but, um, it just happened so quickly that, um, I just felt, you know, we just were all unprepared, right? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And, and with that in an emergency move to save the economy, I guess the Fed sure. cuts interest rates to half a percentage point. Uh, what else do we have? Oh gosh, you had the March 9th stock plunge that tripped the circuit breaker. The Dow enters a bear market. Oh gosh, it's it's. But what I'm what I'm happy to well, say. Well, now we have. But now we have the CARES Act. We yeah. we definitely have some stimulus that that hopefully will will help support some of the, some of the companies uh, in the U.S. in the, at least in the short term. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask. You know, by we've we've sort of mobilized. We've galvanized. We're into. You could say uh, the private sector certainly into a wartime economy. Um, yeah. You know, non-essential businesses were, were closing and we've got over three million people filing for unemployment. But but how are you faring at, at this time? You sort of alluded to it. Your your thoughts on the virus, the, the government response, be it our federal own government here worldwide, um, your general reaction thus far. On the virus or on virus, um, middle and, market? Yeah, on the virus, the effects that, that it's had. Um, and then I guess we'll look into the next 12 months if we, we can and, and how that fares for your business. But you personally, how have you felt that the government has responded? Has it been fair? Has it been good to private business, the public markets? Just your general reaction. Sure. Personally, um, I wish we had had a fast and swift shutdown you know, like I wish we had locked everybody down for two to three weeks to you know basically break the chain, right? Um, I think the slow, the you know slow city by city, neighborhood by neighborhood has has probably um, probably made this a longer uh, a longer and more painful 
than it would have been if we had if we had taken steps worldwide. I'm not just talking about the U.S. government. I'm just saying if we had taken steps worldwide to just say, okay, everybody's on vacation for two weeks, but you're staying in your house. And if everybody did that and 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 didn't, you know, and if everybody did the physical slash social distancing, I think we would have break broken the chain of of infections. So um, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed when I see people outside. I'm disappointed when I see pictures of people, um, you know, going out to see the boat, which I think it was a really cool thing, but not taking, you know, not taking it seriously enough to make sure that they're staying six feet from other people. Because I do think, um, I think it's going to be a longer, more drawn out process. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, and with that, I must ask about the financial markets. We've alluded to what's gone on, in the last couple of weeks, obviously, we've seen a stimulus package. But how, how do you think the the next 12 months now, if we can look ahead, I know it's, sure. it's hard to extrapolate, but how will, the, how will the markets look like? And with that, how are family offices reacting to the current situation? So how are you sort of managing the crisis in-house? Sure. Sure. And again, so I'm going to reiterate, person, this is my personal opinion. This, has, this is not my company yep. <laughs> opinion. Yeah. Um, just, this is just me having conversations. I am, I'm probably busier than I've ever been. I have conference calls from nine in the morning to six at night. And I try to just make sure that my, that I kind of keep my work schedule, a work schedule. So that's been my sanity. Yeah. Uh, but as I'm talking to other families, um, you know, I like a lot of people are saying, look, you know, my, my stocks are down, but they're down now to where they were last November, right? So if you really put it in context, and if you like take it, take a deep breath and step back, put it in context, and you say, okay, but I'm much better off financially um, than I was 10 years ago. Like we've had this huge run up in this great bull market. So yeah. I don't know that, you know, we don't know where the bottom is. And I think right now we've kind of hit a nice sort of steady, you know, a sort of a, a steady state, at least maybe this is the calm before the storm. Yeah. Um, but as I'm talking to other families, it's, it's almost like business as usual. Those families that were prepared, that had, that had cash on hand, um, they have cash on hand to support companies that they've, that they've already invested in. I think they are taking advantage of the CARES Act, not taking advantage in a negative way, but I think they're saying, here's an opportunity to help prop up a company because we know that this is short term and if we can keep these companies going in the short term. Um, and I think there are family offices that have capital ready to say, look, there, you know, there, there could be a buying opportunity come the fall. There might be some yeah. opportunities that will be good for us. So I think, I think the majority of the, uh, the families that I'm talking to, and certainly our family office are, are kind of taking a little wait and see attitude, you know, hunker down a little bit, but wait and see. But I think they're saying, okay, six months, 12 months from now, um, we'll be in it, we'll be in a whole new world and we'll bounce back. But well, I think there is a, this is going to be the lost year. I think people yeah. are going to look at 2020 as a lost year. Well, well, tension is obviously quite high and, and the family portfolio has to be protected. I, I guess yes. that's, that's the, you know, the priorities are changing. So while some months ago, and even now, while I hear you talk, some families might have decided to explore riskier assets like private equity. 
Now, am I hearing that perhaps risk management and wealth preservation is still top prior top priority? I mean, we we had already seen big deals being cancelled due to to high uncertainty in the marketplace. So, I, how how is just to just to home in on your daily operations again? How has the virus impeded your daily day to day movements? And and do you think, with that said? that family offices may pivot away from, from PE in the future? Do you see that coming? Will they hold back somewhat? I don't know that I see them pivoting away from PE, but I do see a pivot in the sectors people are looking at. Right. And I am seeing more family offices more interested in earlier stage, more venture deals, especially around healthcare. So I've had several conversations and around, with some other family offices around um, an interest in, in finding solutions for the virus. So a lot of families are saying, okay, I'm, I'm willing to put some of my capital to work if I can find, if I can support a biofarm deal that's going to provide a vaccine or some, some treatment for the virus. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see a lot of families saying, wow, like telemedicine and telehealth is uh, the wave of the future. And I'm, you know, and I'm sure many of us said, no way will I ever want to talk to my doctor over video chat. And now we're forced to do it. And we're saying, oh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing families saying, well, well, maybe this is a way to solve our, our global, global healthcare issues. And, 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 and maybe there's a way to, you know, support or, you know, through telemedicine, we can support our population a little better. So I'm definitely seeing that. Uh, we're looking at some deals in that space. Mm. Um, another area I'm seeing a lot, and maybe just because we're aware of it, is cybersecurity. Mm. Uh, now that we're all using technology much more, we're, such, we're much more aware of where the flaws are. And, then, and, and you know, hearing stories about people having Zoom conference calls, getting hacked, and all of a sudden it makes us aware yeah. that, we're, we're really not as prepared as we think we, as we should be. Mm. Um, and then our family office has been looking actively at affordable housing. So we have a couple of partners that mm. we have been talking to um, over the last year. We've been doing some due diligence in affordable housing. And we definitely think that there's a, there, there was already a crisis in affordable housing. And I think with the, with the shutdown in construction, and and people losing their jobs that's going to be like the perfect storm that there's going to be a tremendous need for yeah. more affordable housing and we are just not going to have enough housing available for all the people who need it so so i think there are sectors that are really going to come out of this really really strongly and i think that families are going to be willing to put their money behind um some of these sectors yeah but do you think now you'll be with your with your crystal ball in front of you, be able to to invest at a lower price compared to before the spread of the virus. Do you think that that will happen naturally? Well, I think I think there are going to be some areas that 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 it will happen naturally. But I, then I also think that the hot sectors are going to the values the valuations are going to increase. If you if you're looking at a biofarm mm. uh, treatment for coronavirus, my guess is you know if I looked at my crystal ball, I would say those you know if there's some breakthrough technology those those are going to be able to command a much higher valuation than they would have a year ago so i think that i think it really is going to just depend on the sector yeah have your sort of broad investment 
prerequisites, have they changed much? Obviously, your mode of thinking has changed, but has, has the broad base criteria changed? So, so we tend to focus on what we call impactful investments. We, so, so for us, healthcare, affordable housing, um, even cybersecurity, we, we sort of think of as impactful because what, because the kind of effect that it has on, on, on our, um, on people in the, certainly in the U S um, after the Experian hack, um, that made us much more aware of that. So, so as far as we're concerned, those are, those are areas we were already focused on. So that hasn't changed much for us. What I am seeing, not necessarily for our family office, but I'm seeing a lot of opportunities in the secondaries market as people Mm -hmm. are, which was an area that I had never looked at before. And, and, you know, people are looking for, for, for capital. So they, so I'm, I'm getting a lot of, deals in the secondaries market in the, it, that I think will be that I think in the short term are probably positive, you know, positive or, or, or could be good investments because I think those are going to come out stronger, you know, in six months. So, so I think that's an area that some people might be looking at. Yeah. Secondaries were already doing well. And, and for those that are Markovitzing their portfolios, if you want to sell off a large chunk, um, which is somewhat distressed, then yes, that 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 particular niche will do quite quite well. Uh, well, the reality is, again, you know, the past ten years we've had such a great bull market that that mm-hmm. people can can sell and and still make a profit. I do think one area that's going to have a really hard time is the opportunity zones, because oh. those those funds were set up to capitalize on on people who had a big appreciation and they wanted to get the tax advantage. Um, uh, you know, so they want to take it. And, and now if there's less appreciation, I think that there's going to be less incentive to put your money into an opportunity zone fund. So, so again, that's just my reading of the market, but I do think that's an area that might see a little bit of a shakedown. Well, it was already some of the caveats and stipulations and every tier of regulation always had a gray area. It was yep. a lot of push for it, but yes, you're very right. I do agree. So in any time, good or bad, Marcia, private, private businesses, when, when they reach a certain stage in their, in their life cycle, they, they require partners that can weather any storm yep. um, and, and not just capital providers and, and family offices, just as we said, are increasingly they're regarded as, as patient capital providers who are quite risk-loving. Um, some businesses may need an investor lifeline, while, while a, yep. a small percentage are doing v- very well right now, just as you say, and growing faster than, than they can keep up with. So in either case, an investor connection may be helpful. Um, I always find a lot of, lot of industry folk, private businesses saying, well, Vic, how, how do you come across a family office how do you go about finding them so in this time now marcia how does how does one go about finding true legitimate well-screened family offices that are still doing deals because they are quite hard to find if, you, if you're not intertwined in yes. this space they are hard to find um there are but but more and more of them are putting up websites more and more family office professionals are are sharing on LinkedIn that they're family office professionals. So I definitely think there's access to family offices via LinkedIn. I think that there are still a lot of people who 
say they're a family office and then you really you really just you just have to ask a lot of questions like are you really a family office and and you may be but what exactly does that mean you know like some people like so i have 10 million dollars to spend okay so you could call yourself a family office because you have 10 million dollars in private wealth to spend but mm -hmm. but then you're probably going to be an angel investor as opposed to private equity type investors so um so you have to ask a lot of questions, but I think that I think that looking at there's a lot of conferences you can find speakers you can Google Family Office Exchange Family Office Association and just learn about what a family office is. Those are great resources. ACG has a great family office program um, that can be a resource for people. But I think that um, it's 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 really it's, it is a needle in the haystack finding family offices. But again, I think LinkedIn has become a really tremendous, tremendously good tool for that. But it does spend it does take a lot of time to find the right people and to find the right investors. But more and more families are posting that on LinkedIn. So I would start there. That would be my yeah. recommendation for people. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned ACG, of course, and I should I should tell the viewers and listeners that you, of course, sit on the board of ACG New York. You're part of the Family Office Committee. So thank you for your support and service. Do you think that, um, obviously, ACG is quite integral to to middle market deal making, the way in which people network, but um, you've seen us and you've, we've worked with in this hand in hand that we're, we're putting out a lot more bespoke and differential virtual endeavors. Um, I would hope that you echo in, in what I say that we need more support in doing that, just imbibing people with, with sure. practice. It's so lovely talking to you now and, and seeing, you know, what's going on in your world and how your office is reacting. I'd love to hear that from, from most stakeholders in the private equity community. I'm, I'm hoping you, you find that to be quite helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I will actually, you know, selfishly talking about ACG, um, the membership portal has been incredibly valuable to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I would just put in a plug for anybody who's a member of ACG to make sure that they've updated their information, update their sectors, because I use the membership portal tool a lot when I'm looking for, for deals, when I'm looking for co-investors, when I'm looking for speakers, whether yeah. it's for an ACG event or another event that I'm that I'm that I need a speaker for, I generally start with the ACG member portal. So that's been a really good resource for me as well. Yeah, no, it is a fantastic resource, and of course, we're digitalizing and virtualizing, <laughs> doing so much. Um, so you know, I guess the next few weeks we're still going to be cooped up at home, uh, more of the same. Well, what's What's on the horizon? More, more. I see you've got lots of books behind you. You're obviously yes. an avid reader. But are you catching up on your um, on your Netflix shows and Amazon Prime shows and all of that jazz? Yes, yes. Well, I have been a long time. Um, uh, I, I have often used the library apps, so I have. I usually have like five to ten books on reserve. Um, it turns that a lot of other people have discovered those library apps now so i'm limited to five books at a time um yeah. so I'm, instead of the 10 that i used to have in my app so so i am doing a lot of reading uh, i i will admit to signing up for cbs all access and spending the weekend binge watching season two of the good fight Ooh, <laughs> so i plan to finish okay. that up before my free month is over yeah. um and then my husband and I are, are, are huge. We love old movies and, and we've been recording 
we every weekend we just look through the upcoming movies for on on Turner Classics. Oh. Um, and we've been recording movies, and so my husband and I have. It's it's actually nice. We're kind of having date night every night, you oh. know. And it's been one of the nice things is we have been having dinner together every night. It has been twenty years where we have had since we've had regular dinner night, you know, date night and dinner together. So I'm just trying to take advantage of some of the some of the things that opportunities to spending time with my husband. That it's only been three weeks and we we are still doing okay, you know. So. I know. So, you know, ask me that in six months, but right now I'm really enjoying that time together. <laughs> I know, economically speaking and being a bit zen about this, it's 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 really nice people coming together, family yeah. time, bit of downtime within it, staying at home. I'm reading. Really, yeah, I, I get to cook, right? Yeah. I, I, so that's a nice note to end on, I would say, Marcia. It's so, been so lovely. Thank you. To you. It always is. Do you have any final messages to... To the viewers, the listeners, to the to the contingents within the middle market, I know we all say we'll come out of this and we'll get back to it. I'm, I know you're looking forward to getting back out, there, <laughs> certainly on the conference circuit. But any final message and thoughts? Well, my final message will be: this too shall pass. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. we're, we're like it, like it. It feels hard in the short term, but I really believe we're going to come out stronger at the end of this. I think we're going to. I think we are seeing some pain points that that we 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 sort of knew about, but we hadn't really focused on. And I think that I think we're gonna. I just remember like after nine eleven, you know, being in New York and how the city changed and how people were friendlier to each other and hugging and spending time. And and I think that when we come out of the other side of this, I think we're going to have that. I think I think people are going to be kinder to each other. I think people are going to want to spend time to together and i think we're going to come out with new friendships new business opportunities i um you know i think it's going to be hard for the next three or four months but i really think that a year from now we're going to look back and see that that um our world has changed and for the better oh well from your lips to whoever's listening <laughs> um thank you so so much for your words of wisdom your advice thank you Vic. letting us into your home Certainly, uh, I'm liking some of the books that you've got Ooh, there. and there's some artwork. Can you see some artwork behind me? My little Tom Otterness sculpture, yeah. you know, have to, uh, I have to have a little joy in my life. And art is something that I also really appreciate. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so, so much, Mark. Thank you. The world is resilient, just as family offices are in this time. <laughs> and we thank you all for listening in and tuning into. ACG New York TV, the podcast. There's so much more of this stuff to come. Thanks, Marcia, once again, and we'll see you all very soon. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you, Vic.